And again, in the seventh trumpet is contained the seven bowls of wrath. And it causes them when they see this, as bad as what we've studied so far in the seal judgments, doesn't even begin to compare. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we have spent the past few weeks looking at the judgments that befall the earth following the rapture of the church. We noted these judgments come in three groups of seven, and we've been looking at the first group, the seal judgments. These have all taken place as a scroll is unraveled. And today we pick up at the breaking of the seventh seal and the judgments that accompanied that seal. But as we noted yesterday, these judgments are prefaced by 30 minutes of silence. And Dr. Brogy explains that even in heaven, there will be the passing of time. There is time in heaven. Now, Buddhists and Hindus believe that there's an absence of time in eternity, but the Bible is distinctly different. Uh, if you remember, when you come to the end of the book, the 22nd chapter, the Tree of Life, that was all the way back there in the Garden of Eden, we will see it in the New Jerusalem. We will eat from it. And of course, uh, the Scripture says there that every month there is fruit that the Tree of Life produces. So beyond minutes, 30 minutes, beyond the keeping of days and weeks, there's also months in heaven. Now, sometimes people will say, but doesn't the Bible say that there will be no moon or sun in heaven, and therefore without a sun or a moon, how can you have months? Well, it doesn't actually say that. It says that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, but it also says there's a place that we call the New Jerusalem. If you die this morning and you go to heaven, you will go to a place, and I gave you a number of names by which it is called, the Father's house, heaven, the new Jerusalem. You will go to a place where Revelation 21, 23 says, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. This speaks of the Father's house, of the new Jerusalem, that is distinct from the coming new heaven and the new earth that God is going to create. In the new Jerusalem, there is no need for the sun to shine because the glory of Jesus shines it. We don't need the outside light to illumine this auditorium. I was in here late last night, and I came in, and it was pitch black. And I couldn't see a thing. Um, but if I turn on the lights, I would be able to see everything. Well, in heaven, there will be no need for any kind of natural light or even artificial light because the glory of the Lamb will light it. But remember, the new Jerusalem is just the city, the capital city, as we will study at the end of the book, of a new earth. Now, there are some people who are amillennialists, and they describe heaven, and they've written some books on heaven, and they think God's just going to kind of fix up the current earth. Well, He will during the millennial reign, but since they deny the millennial reign of Christ, that He will literally rule, they think we're just going to have someday a fixed-up earth that we'll live on. Listen, God is going to take the new Jerusalem, he will take the current heavens and earth, he will destroy them with fire, and the new Jerusalem will come literally physically and sit on a new earth. And when you study the new earth, you discover that there are seasons and harvests, which have, uh, I assume will require a sun and so forth. So, um, 
I say all that to say that there's time in heaven. I mean, we've already seen music in heaven, right? Does not music, Matt, require tempo? You know, I had five years of piano. Oh, my. Me and my brother, we drove dear Mr. Roland nuts. He came out one night and was all upset with my brother. He said, you broke my divan. I went home and I said, Mom, what's a divan? Mr. Roland said... Kevin broke it. <laughs> well, that dear man, he used to take this little ticker, this metro, metronome, and he'd click it, and he'd go back and forth and back and forth. And I said, Mr. Roland, could you turn that thing off? It throws me off. It really messes me up. It wasn't supposed to. It was supposed to help me. But listen, in heaven, there is time. And there's time now. And by the way, if you've not received Jesus as your Savior... The time someday will run out, either by death or by rapture. And then your time will turn into an eternity of time, forever and ever and ever, in a place of judgment that God does not wish you to go. Again, verse 1, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, this would be a good time to note that since there is about a half an hour of silence in heaven... By implication, that tells us we don't sing constantly in heaven. We're going to discover as we work through Revelation that there's many things that we are going to do in heaven. Among things, we will work. Our God is a working God. Every once in a while, you'll hear some uninformed Christians say that work was a result of the fall. It was a curse. No, it was not. God was working before the fall. Adam was working before the fall. Work was not a part of the curse, and you who are made in the image and likeness of God will work in heaven. What was a part of the curse was the nature of work change. Now it comes by the sweat of our brow. So we're told here, in essence, there's going to be 30 minutes of silence, and so all of heaven is pondering. They're listening. They're waiting with bated breath. What a contrast to what we've seen. We've already seen in the fourth chapter all this noise, the, the sound of thunder. We, we saw the, the saints before God's throne like the four living creatures saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. In chapter 5, we saw that amazing song that was being sung by the inhabitants of heaven. In chapter 6, we heard the saints who had been persecuted and beheaded, asking and crying out, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging the earth? And in chapter 7, we saw another great praise service of people in heaven singing salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this is an unusual experience of silence. Now, beyond the unusual experience of this silence, now John notes for us the cause underlying this silence, the cause that is underlying this silence. If you have eyes to see the cause, it's also found here in verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. You see, by the time the singing and praise of the elders and the four living creatures and the tribulation saints and the angels suddenly stop, there's a reason it stops. Jesus breaks the seventh seal. Now, there's a cause and an effect in this verse. When one thing happens, something else happens. So when the lamb breaks the seventh seal, there is silence, and only then is there silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Now, remember, the seal judgments are different from the trumpet judgments. If you were with us in chapter 6, 
We saw that it's not a sealed scroll like you might think, that there is an outer seal and it's broken and it's rolled a little bit. And you see what's in the first seal judgment. Then a second seal is broken. And you see what's revealed in the second seal. And the third seal is broken. And you see what's revealed in the third seal. All the way through that. But when the seventh seal is broken, you're able to visualize all that is about to take place. Let me give you a slide that might help us to see the relationship between the seal trumpet and bold judgments. Again, there are seven seals. Seven trumpets and seven bowls. Sometimes you will hear of the heptatic structure of the book of Revelation. A heptad is a seven. That's just a fancy theological word that there's three series of seven. And so there are seven seals. And in the seventh seal is found seven trumpets. And so when the seventh seal is broken, the seven trumpets begin to unfold. And when the seventh trumpet is sounded, the six bold judgments begin to unfold. Let me tighten the focus a little bit more. Here's a a picture of the seven-sealed scroll that we've studied. The first four seals, if you remember, picture the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first seal was the white horse, representing temporary peace, a false messiah who comes. The second seal was the red horse, representing war and bloodshed. The third seal, if you remember, represented the black horse, picturing global famine. The fourth seal was a picture of the ashen or the pale horse or the pale green horse, depending on your rendering of the Greek, and it represents pestilence and death. And then we saw that those four horsemen were followed by the fifth seal, which brings a huge number of martyred saints. We're calling them tribulation saints who are martyred for their faith. Then the sixth seal comes, and there are cosmic changes that take place in the universe, and then there's a parenthesis. And we're going to see with each of these series of threes, there's six seal judgments, a parenthesis, and the parenthesis is going to look back and show you what was else was going on on the earth during the time of those six seals, and then the seventh seal will be broken. It will open up seven trumpets. You will see the first six trumpets, then there'll be another parenthesis, and it will show you what was going on during the time of the trumpet judgments. Then the seventh trumpet is sounded, six bowls of wrath, and there'll be another parenthesis, and then the final bowl of wrath. So that structure is very important to understanding the book of Revelation. So here's a picture here, of course, uh, the trumpet judgments, and as you read chapters eight and nine, you once again see that there's an explicit cause-effect relationship between the seventh seal and the seven trumpets that follow. But unlike the seals, where you can just see one seal at a time, as we'll see this morning, when the seventh seal is broken, you can see all seven trumpets, and in the seventh trumpet are all the bold judgments, so you can see all the way to the end. Now wonder in 1511, does heaven shout, now the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. There's coming a day, we pray it in the model or the Lord's prayer, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a kingdom prayer. We are praying that a day is going to come when God's will will be done on the earth, and that will happen when Messiah comes a second time. Do you remember, we just studied it over Christmas when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, look, you're going to have a baby but without a human father, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow your womb, 
and he is going to give you the Son of God. You're going to carry in your womb the Son of God. And he says in Luke one thirty two, he, the Son of the Most High, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. When Jesus came the first time, he never received the throne of his father, David. Was Gabriel just spouting words? Absolutely not. Because in Gabriel's announcement, he is giving a picture much like Isaiah, uh, the ninth chapter, of both comings of Christ. Isaiah said there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold its justice and righteousness. And so we saw in Isaiah, both comings of Christ are pictured. A baby is going to be born and the baby's name is mighty God. And there is coming a day when the governments of this world will rest on his shoulders. Did that happen at his first coming? Absolutely not. Did, Je- did Jesus literally sit on the throne of David? Not yet. But he is going to. We are going to see that fulfilled when we come to the 20th chapter. And so when they see the seventh seal broken and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls that are all pictured together, they just hold their breath. Because what is about to happen is going to culminate in the kingdom of the Messiah. Verse 2, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and, circle that word, and seven trumpets were given to them. See, again, this is very different. You don't see them one at a time. He sees both the seven angels who stand before God along with the seven trumpets that are given to them. So they all appear at once, so to speak. And again, in the seventh trumpet is contained the seven bowls of wrath. And it causes them when they see this, as bad as what we've studied so far in the seal judgments, doesn't even begin to compare to what we're going to see. There's a growing intensity like a woman who's in labor, and it just brings shock. I remember sitting in our living room with my wife as we were watching the replay of the Twin Towers coming down, and we just sat there in silence. All of heaven is just in silence, much like Habakkuk chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And they interviewed all these people and people using the Lord's name in vain and oh my, oh my, oh my, and, you know, swearing and cursing. And you heard the recordings of that jet that was flying down in Pennsylvania. And some people were saying the Lord's prayer and other people were cursing God. And you will see the same reaction at this time. But I promise you in heaven, no one will be using the Lord's name in vain. There's absolute silence. Their breath is held as they wait. And as we move forward from chapter 8, we will learn that at this point of the tribulation, most of earth's inhabitants will not respond to the gospel. Most of the conversions will happen in the first half of the tribulation. But in the second half of the tribulation that begins with the trumpet and bowl judgments, there will be conversions, there will be a preaching of the gospel, but far less. People by this time have either responded in faith or they've grown bitter to the Lord. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, is there an event that triggers these trumpet and bowl judgments that God says are going to happen? And the answer is 
Absolutely, yes. Hold your finger here and turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, go to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew 24, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a very, very important place. The Mount of Olives was the place that Ezekiel saw the Shekinah glory of God leave and exit up into heaven. The Mount of Olives was the place that Jesus ascended to heaven from. The Mount of Olives is the place that Jesus is literally, physically, actually, Zechariah 14 says, going to come. Messiah will come back and he will plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. So it's a great place. It's kind of ground zero for both Jews and for uh, Christians. People want to be buried on the Mount of Olives if they can afford it. Why do Jews want to be buried on the Mount of Olives? Because they know that's where the Messiah is coming back to, and they want to see it happen. In either case, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he's telling them about the destruction of the temple, where one stone will not stay upon another. But he also goes on to tell them about the events that will lead up to his second coming. So he gives a short-range prophecy, because he fills three offices, prophet, priest, and king. And for a true prophet of God to be a prophet, you not only had to tell long-range prophecies, but short-range. And Jesus did both, that some of it were fulfilled during his life, and some shortly after. And so in 70 AD, just like he said, Titus Vespucian came in, wipes out the temple. Not one stone is left standing upon another. When you go to Israel today and you stand at the Western Wall, you are not standing at a temple wall. You're standing at the Temple Mount. The temple was on top of that platform. That was just the surrounding wall that was built by Herod the Great on which the temple would ultimately, uh, his rebuilt temple was set. Now, Follow with me. He's on the Temple Mount, and, uh, and, and I want you to follow this carefully because here's why. Do you remember how the book of Revelation began? It began with a, an incredible promise. Let me read it to you. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the word of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Read, hear, and heed. Now, you had to have someone read it because most people didn't own their own copy of Scripture. So God gave a special blessing to the lector, and you get your own special blessing because you've got your own copy of Scripture. But not only those who read it, but who heard it. And the word heard is with understanding. There's a presupposition in the book of Revelation that you can understand it. Do you know that the book of Revelation is one of the least preached books in all of the Bible? People think, well, I just can't get it. You can get it. God says you can get it so much that you can hear with understanding such that you can heed it, that you can obey it. And God says there's a special blessing that comes with it. Now, all the way through Scripture, we're encouraged to read Scripture and we're given all kinds of promises of how we will be edified. But there's no book in all of the Bible that specifically says, read me. I am so special that if you will read me, you will receive a special blessing. Now understand, before we crack the fine print here of Matthew 24, the order of events. Here's a, here's a chart. Again, uh, the next event is the rapture. It begins the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. If you are not here 
for the preaching of the book of Daniel, you might want to go and listen at least to the last four sermons in Daniel 9, where I explain the 70th week prophecy. It's important. It describes a week not of days, but the Jews not only had a week of days, but a week of years. It describes a time frame known as seven years. We call it in the New Testament the tribulation period. And Daniel divides it into two halves, as does the Lord Jesus, as does the Apostle John. So you'll read of three and a half years, or a time, times, and a half of times, or 42 months, or 1260 days. And there's an event right in the middle of the 70th week. See that? A-O-D, it stands for the abomination of desolation that divides the week in half. When we're caught up into heaven, the next judgment is called the Bema Seat judgment, the Bema Seat. It is a judgment not of unbelievers, but of Christians. You will stand before Jesus and give an account, not to see if you get to heaven, but to see how you will experience eternity, how God will bless you in heaven, so to speak. Not every Christian, as we studied a little bit on Wednesday night, will experience heaven in the same way. It's a marvelous place for anyone who goes, just as hell is a horrible place for anyone who goes. But hell is not the same for everyone. There's a great white throne judgment where Jesus will deal out retribution according to your works. And God will reward his people. This is not a judgment of sin, but a judgment of service according to your deeds. And some believers are more faithful with what God has given them than others. And Jesus will take that into account. The next great event is the rapture. The Bema seat will happen. And then after we are rewarded, we will sit down for the marriage supper of the Lamb. First, he comes for his saints. That's in the catching up of the church. At the second coming, we will come, he will come back with his saints. And he, we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth. All right, now, with that in mind, let's look here at Matthew 24. In this next slide, if you will bring it up, you will see that there are direct parallels between the Olivet Discourse, this sermon given on the Mount of Olives, in Matthew 24 with Revelation chapter 6 and 7. There's a parallel between those two events. So let's see if we can follow that, and you might want to write out in the margin of your Bible a number of various uh, verses um, over each. Look at verse 24 and verse 5. Matthew 24, verse 5. Here Jesus mentions the birth pangs. He says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And so as this chart uh, exemplifies, this is a picture of the first seal. So you might want to write out in the margin next to this verse, Revelation 6, 1 and 2. The first seal is broken, the rider and the white horse comes because at the start of the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, with the church gone, there's going to be all kinds of false messiahs, but the epitome of all the false messiahs will be the coming Antichrist, whom John is going to reveal to us when we come to the 13th chapter. So the first horseman, a white horse, is seen. He's the Antichrist. Look at verse 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Right next to verse 6, write Revelation 6, 3 and 4. Next to verse 6, write Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4. This is the second seal. This is the rider on the red horse, which will bring unparalleled wars across the globe, so much so that the rumor on everyone's lips is yet talk of another war. 
Then the Lord moves to the third seal in Matthew 24 and verse 7 when he describes the horrors of famine. And in various places there will be famine. Right out next to that verse, Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. Revelation 6, 5 and 6. That's the black horse of famine and the hunger that he brings. Then comes the fourth horseman of the apocalypse who comes on an ashen or a pale horse which represents worldwide pestilence and death. And the fourth seal corresponds to Christ's earlier promise recorded both here and in Luke's gospel, referring to a time of death that will come by earthquakes, followed by pestilence and disease. And so let me read it to you. And in various places, there will be earthquakes. That's verse 7, verse 8. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Right out next to the end of verse 7 and 8, Revelation 6, 7 and 8. Now, the birth pangs are not here, and so you will hear Christians say, well, the number of earthquakes, they're increasing, and the number of famines, they're growing, and and is there any significance to that? And they'll call those the birth pangs. Those aren't the birth pangs. Now, I think there's significance to them and that it alerts us to the fact that uh, there's a pregnancy that's real, and maybe we're getting to the end of the term, but the birth pangs don't begin, according to Jesus, until the church is removed. They happen during the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And so here in the fifth seal, Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. That, by the way, is exactly what we read in Revelation chapter 6. And then if you look at verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So next to verses 9 and 10, write Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. The persecution that Jesus speaks of here in the first half of the tribulation, and he's going to divide it into two halves. We're going to see in a moment. There's an event that takes place that divides the two halves. The persecution that he describes is identical to what we saw with the fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6. Untold of persecution. But if you read the sixth chapter as we studied it, we saw that these tribulation saints maintained their testimony. That is, they didn't renounce Jesus, and it cost most of them their heads. They're beheaded. And we are seeing a beheading taking place in our day by the Muslims against Christians. That's going to be widespread across the planet. People thought that that was done and over and archaic and gone with the French Revolution, but it's back and the Muslims are doing it, and you're going to see it across the planet of, on everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and refuses to give allegiance to the Antichrist. But their testimony will be maintained, and so Jesus said, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. You're not saved by perseverance, but if you are saved, you will persevere. That is a sign that your conversion is genuine. You will never, ever renounce Christ. Then in the sixth seal, Jesus doesn't directly mention it here in this part of the Olivet Discourse. Talks about the sun being darkened and the moon becoming like blood and the stars falling to the earth. And I think there's a reason he doesn't mention it, though he does mention it in a general way in Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse, and that he says in this section, there will be terrors and great signs in the heavens. But I think he wants to distinguish what is happening in the heavenly realm in terms of the moon and the sun and the stars 
stars, which will happen again during the trumpet judgments, from the final expression of the sun going super dark, the stars falling from heaven, the moon turning blood that happens just before his second coming. And tomorrow we will complete our look at what the Olivet Discourse has to say about the time surrounding the return of Christ ahead of his millennial reign. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV21. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of people like you. Join us again tomorrow as we conclude our look at When Heaven Goes Silent as we search the scriptures.